Take out your worksheets, please. Number 12. I'm so excited. We're talking about hell tonight. Seriously, it's the good news about hell. That's the title. Let's talk about it. Let's see what the Bible says. Typically, we think of hell as a negative subject, an awful subject. And trust me, this time of year, there's people thinking about it all the time, right? Just the other night was Halloween, and people are dressing up, and the pictures that people have in their mind of ghosts and goblins and all this hellish stuff, what, is, what does the Bible actually say about this topic? I think it's a good time to look inside of Scripture and see what it's saying and be clear what it's not saying, okay? So we want to understand the good news about hell. But before we get started, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so, so much for the abundant rain outside, and thank you for the fellowship that we're enjoying here. Thank you for these precious Sabbath hours that are now commenced, and we thank you especially that even difficult topics like hell can be good news as we understand your character and your plan for us. So Lord, let your word speak to us, and not just to our, our minds, though we do want clarity and understanding and good instruction. But Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to understand who you are. Help us to see your plan for what it is, a plan of love and a plan of mercy. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10, page 944. We're going to begin our study tonight with Matthew chapter 10. Jesus himself speaking about this particular issue of hell. Matthew 10, verse 28, page 944 in your pew Bible. What does Jesus say? Now, he says in verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the what? Soul. Okay? So he makes a distinction. There are some people who can just kill you physically, other people who can kill you physical and spiritual, right? All the way dead, if you will. But rather fear, and who is it that he says to fear? Fear him. Not fear them. Like some extra people, he's putting this right on one person, him with a capital H. This is God. Fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. That does not sound like good news, right? Fear God because there's a hell to, to shun and to be aware of? Yes. Jesus makes it very clear. Do not fear those who can kill merely the body but can't kill the soul. Be afraid if you want to fear, respect something, of the one, him, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Let's go right now to our first fill-in-the-blank, the purpose of hell. First of all, let's be clear, hell is a real thing. Whatever it is, it's real. Jesus spoke about it as though it were fact, okay? So it's a fact. What does it mean? Well, we'll continue with that, but the purpose right here, as Jesus said it, is to do what to the body and soul? Destroy Please put that in there. He talks about destroying. The purpose of hell is to destroy both the body and the soul. Please notice that hell is not primarily punitive. That means a punishment. It doesn't say fear him who can torture, but fear him who can destroy. The purpose of hell, the primary purpose of hell, is to destroy both the body and the soul. So, let's go on. That's our first. That's our operating premise from the lips of Jesus himself. The purpose of hell is to destroy completely both body and soul. Not just to harm the body or not just to torture the... No, 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 no. It's to destroy both. Completely wipe out the person, body and soul. How is that good news? Well, friends, already right there is a drastically different picture of hell than, you're than most people listen to. Most people have in their minds. The purpose that most people see in hell is for God to torture but the Bible doesn't say that. Jesus himself said the purpose is to destroy. And we're going to see how that is good news. First of all, good news number one, hell lasts forever. <laughs> and you're thinking, wait a minute, how is this good news? Well, let's keep it. Notice this hell lasts forever as the Bible defines forever. As the Bible defines it. What does it mean for something to last forever, biblically speaking? Let's study it out. Revelation chapter 14 page 1184 in your pew Bible. 1184, Revelation chapter 14, starting with verse 9. This brings us right up until the very last moments of earth's history. Those who have not bowed their knee to the 
Antichrist power, have not taken the mark of the beast, which again we'll be studying later, but this people has a message for the world. And notice what it says in verse 9. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Now here's the key. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And, verse 11, the smoke of their torment ascends, how long? Forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So notice they're going to be tormented in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of that torment ascends forever and ever. Okay? Forever and ever. What does it mean, forever and ever, biblically speaking? Well, let's look at one more. Verse, chapter 20 of Revelation, just to the right a few pages. Chapter 20, verses 9 and 10. This is the material we covered last night, but I told you to put a pin in it. We're going to come back to it. Not last night, the last time we were here. Revelation chapter 20, verses 9 and 10. Here it says that resurrected group, the now resurrected wicked, who are under the leadership of Satan at this point, deceived again, go out to make war with God's people in his holy city. It says here, they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down out of heaven and did what? Devoured them. What's it, what's it mean to devour something, to consume it, to eat it up. Okay? The devil who deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night. How long? Forever and ever. There you have another reference to burning this fire, destruction in a fire, and the results are forever and ever. I want to be clear about that. Okay? Which begs the question, and I know it sounds kind of like a dumb question, but how long is forever? How long is forever? And in our minds, forever means without end. Forever typically means to continue on and to continue on and never to stop, but just to keep going and going and going and going through infinity, through eternity. Forever and ever means just that, forever. That's in our thinking. Right? But this is not the way the Bible uses this term. What does the Bible mean when it says forever? Let's look at some other examples. Let's go to Exodus chapter 21. How long is forever? Page 71. In your pew Bible, page 71, that's Exodus chapter 21. Verses 5 and 6. One of the earliest references to this concept of forever in Scripture deals with Interestingly enough, laws of the children of Israel, specifically concerning their workers, their servants. Okay? Now watch this now. Exodus 21, verse 5. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. By the way, what does that indicate about how servants were supposed to be treated in Israel? Supposed to be well, right? So much so that they could have a comfortable living, they could have a family, and they could say, wait a minute, I don't want to go free. I'd rather just keep working here, right? If that's their request, after you give them the opportunity to leave, and they say, no, no, I don't want to, again, verse 5, but if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then, verse 6, his master shall bring him to the judges, magistrates, the rulers, right? He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost of his, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. So they're going to put an indelible mark. They're going to put an a, a earring, if you will, some sort of device there. Pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him how long? Forever. Well, it says here for, Forever. Does that mean that the choice to stay under this master's rule and being pierced with that all gives this individual eternal life? No. It simply means it's going to keep going and going in perpetuity, of course, until it's all done, Well, he's passed away, till he's dead, right? For the rest of his life, forever. 
This, by the way, seems to be the repeated concept in Scripture. Let's look at another one, page 257 in your pew Bible. That's 1 Samuel 1, 22. 1 Samuel 1, 22. Again, we're still under good news number one, the idea that hell lasts forever is good news. Why? Because we have to understand what forever means when the Bible mentions it. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 22. To give you a little background on this, Hannah and her husband Elkanah were wanting a child, specifically Hannah was, and oh, she was so sad. She didn't have a child, and she prayed to the Lord, and there's a whole story along this, this line, but the Lord looked with favor on her, granted her the request of her heart, and she was given a son, and she named him Samuel, right? What's the rest of the book's about? Samuel. Now it says here, We'll start with verse 21. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there, how long? Forever. She's basically saying, I'm going to give my child to the Lord for his service forever. So I'm going to raise him to a certain point, and then when I go up, it's not going to be for one year and then come back and then go back and forth. No, 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 no. When I go up with my son, I'm leaving him there. I want to give him back. The Lord has given me this gift and I'm going to give him to the service of the Lord and he's going to serve the Lord forever. Again, the same thing as the other servant serving his master forever. It's not an indication of eternity or infinity as we mathematically think of it. It's the concept of continuation until it's completed, right? continuation until it's completed with this person's death for the rest of their life, as long as they live. But perhaps no one in the Bible exemplifies this concept of forever and ever in biblical terms than does David. Now this to me is fascinating. Go to 1 Samuel 28. You're already there in 1 Samuel. Go six more chapters to the right. 1 Samuel 28. We're going to look at verse 3, and again, we'll get some context. David was not necessarily popular with the ruling king, Saul. Even though they started out close, Saul had some intense jealousies of David, and Saul declined spiritually. David was increasing in popularity. David, Saul understood that David was going to be the king someday, did not like this at all, and sought his life. David spent a good deal of his younger days on the run, okay, Threatened from, the, threatened from Saul. Now, David found refuge, interestingly enough, in the Philistines. And it says here in verse 1, 1 Samuel 28, Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. Now Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. Basically, David has, has allied himself up personally with the Philistines. Then the Philistines go to war against the Israelites, who David's actually a part of. And so the Akish, this guy who he turned himself over to, says, Now look here, we're going to go to war with the Israelites. You know who you fight for, right? You fight for me now. Right? In fact, he goes on in verse 2. So David said to Akish, Surely you know what your servant can do. That's an interesting retort. You know what I'm capable of. I don't know that that sounds like a clear, yes, sir, I will fight for you, but he says, you know what I can do. Verse uh, continues, And Akish said to David, Therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. It's like, I will keep you in my employ, you'll be one of my security guards, my close confidants, forever. And again, there's that third time now we've seen the Bible talk about forever, but it's about one person's individual life till they're done for the rest of their existence. Psalm 88. Later on, David, when he would write these psalms, let's go to Psalm 88, um, sorry, 89. Read that. Psalm 89 used this language of forever all the time. Over and over we see it. Page 567 in your pew Bible, Psalm 89 and verse 1. Let's look at just a few examples. There are more than these I have listed here, but these are just a few. David says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord, how long? Forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Now, does that mean he's going to live for all generations? No. 
but he's going to record his praises, and they'll be read for all generations, but he said, I will sing it forever. Okay? I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. Let's keep going to the right. Psalm 145. We're just going to do a brief survey of the book of Psalms and see how often and in what regard David uses this terminology forever. Psalm 145, verses 1 and 2. Here David makes another commitment to the Lord. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. He claims he's going to do this forever and ever. Let's go back to the left now, Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 44. David in forever again. Now we'll just start with verse 41. Give a little context. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped hoped in your ordinances. So shall I keep your law continually, forever and ever. Goes back to this. I'm going to do this forever and ever. Now, all of that sounds nice. Those are big commitments to make, but go to 1 Kings chapter 2. There is a problem with all of this forever and ever talk when it comes to David. 1 Kings chapter 2. And notice what it says here. That's going to be page 320, by the way, in your pew Bible. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 10. So David, what's the next word? Oh, he took a nap, right? It says he rested with his fathers. What does that mean if you're resting with your fathers? Dead. So David died. (laughs) So much for all that forever and ever talk, right? Or maybe his body died, but he, the real him, his soul went into heaven, and he's still singing praises to God, right? Maybe that's what he's doing. Well, the difficulty there is when you go beyond to Acts chapter 2. Go to the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, just in case you're thinking, well, he physically died, but spiritually he's still praising the Lord. He's still up on a cloud. He's still doing something. He's He's plucking a harp, I don't know, singing praises, writing psalms. Who knows what he's doing up there? But he said forever and ever, so he must have meant it. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. The day of Pentecost, by the way, this is going to be page 1053 in your Bible. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and preaches a sermon all from the Old Testament Scriptures And he quotes from the book of Psalms. He quotes from the book of Psalms. And we'll just start with verse 25. Let's start there. For David says concerning him. Okay, you're going to see that David, according to the apostle Peter here, is writing prophetically about the coming Messiah, about Jesus. Right? So what he says we're going to read here is about Jesus and not about David personally. We'll get back to that. He clarifies that. But watch this now. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. So you could say, aha! There it is. David knew he was going to die, but he's going to go to heaven, right? So that's why he could say he was going to praise him and extol him and sing him, sing his praises all through forever and ever. But then look at verse 29, what the Apostle Peter says. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both what? And, and his tomb is with us to this day. Let me make it very, very clear. David is dead. He is buried. His tomb is right over there. We could take a field trip if you'd like. You could go see it. We could just stand around it, and that's where his body lays. And you could say, well, his body's there, but he, the real him, went to heaven, right? Look at verse 34. 
for David did not ascend into the heavens. Okay. (laughs) Acts chapter 2 makes it patently clear. David once was living, wrote some things, then he died, he was buried, his tomb is right over there, and just in case you were wondering, maybe he went to heaven, the apostle Peter says he absolutely did not ascend into heaven. Just so you know. So what does it mean when he... Was he being disingenuous when he says, I will do these things forever and ever? I will praise you forever? I will sing your... No. What did he mean by it? Well, let's go back to the book of Psalms. It tells us what he means by it. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Scripture interprets itself. Verse 112. That's going to be page 590 in your pew Bible. 119, 112. He explains what he means. He says, I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever. Then it says, comma, to the very what? According to Scripture, does forever have an end? Yes. He says, I've inclined my heart to to keep your commandments, to perform your statutes forever. And then he defines what he means by that. To the very end. So, biblically speaking, forever has an end. Okay? So, yes, hell lasts forever in the biblical sense. That it will go on continuously until it's done, and once it's done, it's done. Okay? It will exhaust whatever it is, like, say, someone who wants to be a servant will be this person's servant for the rest of their life, and when they're dead, you can't hold them to that because they're dead. They're done. That forever has an end. And David says the same thing. I will perform. It doesn't mean, by the way, that after forever that I'm going to stop performing your statutes. No, he's simply saying, I'm going to perform them as long as I am. And then when I'm done being, then I won't. (laughs) Because my forever has come to an end. Okay, Biblically speaking, please understand this, forever has an end. And that's good news about hell because I know that there are a great many people who have this wrong conception of forever and believe, man, I've only lived, you know, 30, 40, 50, 80, 90 years. Let's say you lived 100 years old. Okay. But I'm going to be tortured for not just 100 years, but 10,000 years, 10 million years, 10 trillion years without end ever, 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 ever? No. You're only going to be destroyed forever. Till it's all done. Okay? Biblically speaking, forever has an end. But let's go on to point number two. That's just the first good news. Second good news. Good news number two on the other side of your paper. Hell destroys completely. This is exactly what Jesus had said. Fear him who can kill both the body and soul, destroy both the body and soul in hell. So again, the purpose is to destroy and to destroy completely, not partially. Page 931 in your pew Bible. Let's go to the book of Malachi. Malachi is the very last book of the Old Testament. And just as we've seen so often, Malachi, like so many other Old Testament authors, looked forward to the second coming of Jesus, not just the first coming of Jesus, but also his second coming. And he describes it this way. Malachi chapter 4 page 931 in your pew Bible, and look at verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble, and the day which is coming shall burn them, what? Up. Not just burn them, but burn them how? Burn them up consume them, destroy them, annihilate them, end them. You can use whatever language you want, but the fire is not just to torture. The fire is to destroy. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. How do we know it's complete destruction? Look at the text continues. That will leave them neither root nor branch. Nothing is left. Goes on in verse 2, but to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and go fat like stall fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be, what's that word? Ashes under the soles of your feet. 
on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. The wicked are going to be burned, and then what's left over is the ashes, the remnant, the evidence that it has, has occurred, but the wicked themselves are not continuing to exist because the fire is to destroy, not just to torture. And again, I know the caricature that people have of hell, the cartoon images. I've watched Tom and Jerry before, too. I understand, right? You know, whenever something you know, gets, falls off a cliff or gets flattened under a car tire or whatever, they, and they either go off to heaven or they go down to hell. Always hell is a flaming pit where everybody's alive. Right? Nobody actually dies in hell. But this is not the biblical concept. The purpose of hell is to destroy, not to keep alive. Right? And you have a picture of people like on a spit or something, like some roasting or something, torturing them. Oh, but I can't. Come on. This is not a biblical concept. Yes, there's fire. Yes, it does destroy. But no, it does not exist to endlessly torture. It exists to bring to an end. Okay? Let's look at this again. Just in case you think, well, that's just one text out of context. Let's do it again. Ezekiel chapter 28. We've been there several times. Back up in the Old Testament. Just before the book of Daniel, we go to Ezekiel. Page 830 in your pew Bible. Ezekiel chapter 28. Starting with verse 18. Page 830. Again, this is going back to the fall of Lucifer, Satan, you know, and the punishment that's going to be him, his. It says, You defiled your sanctuary by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore I brought what? Fire from your midst, and it did what? And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. Okay? Fire destroying, leaving to ashes is what the other prophets have said. And now, verse 19, at the end of that, all who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more. What? Now we use the forever. Because now you'll be no more as long as that no more continues, which will be forever. Right? There's going to be a destruction by fire that turns to ashes, and then afterwards, it's all done. It's a very simple concept. Hell destroys, it does not torture. That's not its purpose, it's not its function. Let's go back to the book of Psalms, Psalm 37. Page 534 in your pew Bible. 534, Psalm 37. Verse 10. You'll see that in the Psalms, David, always there's this great struggle between the wicked and the righteous and what the end of the wicked will be and how the Lord will fairly treat the righteous. He's very concerned about these issues of, of justice and equity and fairness. And Notice what he says here in Psalm uh, 31. I'm sorry, 37. I got the wrong page there. 37, starting with verse 10. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be, what? No more. Now, what does he mean by this? Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, as though there's a location where all the wicked are kept. Maybe say hell, right? You will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. Like, you can look high and low, there isn't a place for the wicked left. Once the destruction occurs, they will be done. Skip down to verse 20, along the same lines. But the wicked shall, what? Perish. And the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish into, and here's that word we saw in Revelation, what do they become? Smoke. You notice you always see things like smoke or ashes, being the result of the fire, right? You often hear the phrase, and it's, you know, according to the laws of nature, it's actually incorrect to say where there's smoke, there's fire. Smoke is where there was fire, right? In the fire, you don't find smoke. It's where the fire stops, and it's what's left over, the ashes and whatnot floating up. That's the smoke, right? Here it talks about smoke, and it talks about ashes, where the fire has done its work, that's what remains, okay? Over and over again. Let's look again at verse 20, Psalm 37, verse 20. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. 
By the way, this term perish, what's another synonym for perish? Die. Okay? There's a very, very, perhaps the most well-known Bible text in all of Scripture uses that word perish. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have Notice that the two options are life or death, to live or to perish. But a great majority even of the Christian world does not believe that text. Because they say the two options are to live forever with Jesus or to live forever in hell. That your two options are live or live. The only difference is the quality of the living. Is it happy on a cloud full of bliss, or is it, you know, back to the Tom and Jerry, is it like a cartoon where everybody's alive? Where Jesus Christ very clearly says the two options you have are live or die. Not live happy or live real, real painful. It's not what he says. It's not in the scripture. I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, eternal life, smoking or non-smoking. Right? But this was the, that's, the, that's the evangelical concept. That everybody lives forever. The question is just where and in what condition. It was taken for granted that everyone just always keeps living. But according to this, the purpose of hell is to destroy. So that once it's done, it's done. Good news number two, hell destroys completely. It actually accomplishes its purpose. But let's go to number three. Good news about hell number three. Three out of five, right? Hell is a when, not a where. Hell is a when and not a where. What do we mean? Okay, let's go to Job chapter 21. Page 495 in your pew Bible. The book of Job, of course, so you understand, Job had a very miserable experience. Job had a very difficult time and, of course, Issues of life and death were on his mind and the justice and mercy of God and why would this happen and woe is me, all these different things. And in the midst of this, notice what we read in chapter 21, verse 30. It says, for the wicked are, what's that word in your Bible? Reserved. The wicked are reserved. They're being held aside. They're going to be put out for a later time. The wicked are reserved for the day of doom. They shall be brought out on the day of wrath. Does this company, this is go along with what we studied last, last time we were together? Right? How the wicked die, but then after time they will be resurrected. There's a second resurrection, the resurrection of the wicked. They're reserved and then brought out for the day of wrath, and then they'll be destroyed. It's a very simple part. It's not like the moment they die, oh, they plunge into this thing and the hell. No, 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 no. They're being reserved for a day of doom. Okay. They shall be brought out on the day of wrath. Hell is a when, not a where. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Way in the back of the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 3, page 1167. 2 Peter chapter 3. Well, let's just, start with, let's just start with verse 3. We've covered this ground before, but it gives a little broader context. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Remember, we studied this on the night of the return of the king. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Notice again, they, they employ this phrase, sleeping with the fathers, fell asleep, like the fathers, right? That's a euphemism for death, right? All the generations before us have all died, and everything continues as it was for this creation. But notice what he says about these people who say such things. Verse 5, for this they willfully forget. It's an interesting turn of phrase. To willfully forget, to choose to not to remember, right? There's something you could remember, but you choose to turn that off. No, I don't want to think about it. It's like, it's like choosing not to hear someone talking. You have to make an effort. La, 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 right? 
He says, for they willfully forget that by the word of the God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and, and, and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. He's like, you forget the Lord has destroyed the world before. And what was his agent of purification that time? Water, right? The big flood. Okay? But, verse 7, the heavens and the earth which are now, here's our word again, preserved by the same word, are reserved for what? Fire. But for when is that fire going to come? Until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. He's very clear. The earth that we now see is being reserved, just like we saw back in the, the same exact wording even from the book of Job in the Old Testament. Old Testament and New Testament paint the same picture, that the wicked are being reserved. It's not like the Lord isn't going to do something. There just isn't a place that's currently burning that they're being sent to now. Okay? There is a day of wrath, a day of doom, a day of destruction, and this time, instead of water, it will be with fire, and that fire will destroy completely. Hell is a when and not a where. I want to underline this more and more. Let's keep going. Jude 6. Turn to the right, just a few books here. To Jude, that little skinny book that's so small there aren't any chapters. Jude 6 and 7. Jude 6 and 7. Ah, no, we've got to back it up. Anytime I tell you a verse, assume we're going to go to five verses before it, just to give it context, okay? I know. But I want you to see the Bible very clearly. I don't want you to think like, oh, he put out this one phrase and didn't. I want you to see all of Scripture, right? Very clear. Jude, let's just start with verse 5 then. But I want to remind you, though, you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. So he's talking about the destruction of people who fall away from the Lord, very clearly. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, speaking about the angels, who, what was their proper domain? They started where? Heaven, right? But left their own abode, he has, here's our word again, what has he done with them? Reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Notice that the destruction of the wicked, even the wicked angels, is reserved for a particular time. There's a great day of his judgment coming, thus hell is a when and not a where. By the way, it keeps going. As, verse 7, what will that day be like? As Sodom and Gomorrah. Were Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed by the Lord? Yes. What was the agent of destruction? Fire rained down from heaven. Okay. So he says, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an what? Example. Suffering the vengeance of what? All right. The vengeance of eternal fire has already occurred for Sodom and Gomorrah. So let me ask you, is there a place on the earth you can go, over in the Middle East, a location, a geographic territory that used to be the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah and they are still on fire? No. But they are set forth as an example of what happens when someone suffers the wrath of eternal fire. What happens when you suffer from eternal fire? You get destroyed. The purpose of the fire is not to just simply torture. It's to destroy, to end. And they are set forth an example. Notice this also, by the way. The fire, not to just really scramble your brains, the fire is forever. The fire is forever. But the destruction has an end. It might just kind of, but just follow with me, okay? Notice they serve an example, set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. All right? Matthew chapter 8. We saw this one the other night. I just really like this interaction because Jesus is so clear. In fact, the demon is so clear. Well, let's see. No, let's go to one more text before we go there. Let's go to the little one I had there in the notes. 2 Peter 2, 6. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. Starting with verse 4. <laughs> chapter 2, starting with verse 4. I should just give you a chapter, give you a few minutes to read it, and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> 
2 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 4. Same thing that we saw recorded in the book of Jude. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness, could you say, ha ha, say we're cast down to hell. It is a place, but wait, watch the description of hell. But cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. By the way, the location of hell will be right here on earth. So tempting to title this message, Hell on Earth. Right? But that's where it's, if there's going to be a place, it's going to be here. This is where the Lord will come back and that fire will destroy. But it's just not currently burning. It's a when is the issue, right? To be reserved for judgment. And he goes back to the flood, right? And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world and the ungodly. And verse 6, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into what? Ashes. Condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly. I don't know how much plainer language can be. But he said, just in the same way, these are two different Bible authors now who have employed Sodom and Gomorrah as examples of what destruction by the fire of God will be like. It will be destroying completely, and what's left over is ashes. Over and over. Old Testament, New Testament, the same picture is painted. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 8. Again, underlining the idea that hell is a when and not a where, Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has this encounter, page 942, with these demons. It's not often that you see Jesus and the demons have a dialogue back and forth, but here they do. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, O Jesus, you son of God? <laughs> I don't know if they were trying to be insulting, but that's not at all. They, they, were the, they recognized it, right? And notice their question. Have you come here to torment? It's the same language used in Revelation, right? To torment us before the what? Time. Do the demons even understand that there is an appointed time for the destruction of the wicked? Absolutely. They admit it with their own mouth. There is a time coming for the torment or the destruction of the wicked. And they saw Jesus coming. They're like, hey, hey, you're coming early. He's like, don't worry, I'm not going to do that. You'll do that later. <laughs> but it's definitely coming. They understood that hell is a twin and not a where. Number four, good news number four. Only the righteous will live in everlasting fire. Now again, I told you that fire is everlasting. I have no problem with everlasting fire. What I have an issue with is the concept of unending or everlasting infinite torture. The Bible does not talk about that. The purpose of the fire is to destroy. The fire is forever, and so is the destruction being permanent forever. Let's go on. Hebrews chapter 12, a one-sentence statement, page 1157. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 29. A very short little simple statement, but it's very, very profound in its implications for this study. It says, for our God is a what? I want to break this down into two parts here. Our God, first of all, our God is a fire. If you notice that every time that God is spoken of, it looks like flames are coming out, of streams issue forth. He's on the wheels of his, of his, of his throne or a fire. There's always references to fire, right? It talks about God. And here he specifically says, our God is a fire. But what kind of fire is he? Notice it's not just a low-burning flame, right? It's a consuming fire. It's a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Well, that sounds great when it talks about the destruction of the wicked, but what about those people he's trying to save? How can you live? You know, that's a problem. For instance, Revelation 22, very last page of the Bible. 
Revelation page uh, 22, verses 4 and 5. Notice the promise that's given. And we have to think, is this really good news? Revelation 22, verses 4 and 5. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Speaking of the redeemed now. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light. Well, that makes sense because the Lord is a what? Fire, right? You don't need a sun. You've got the sun of righteousness right here. He's a fire, right? And they shall reign forever and ever. So apparently people are going to live forever in the fire. It's just not the wicked. Let's keep studying this out. We're going to study till we get an amen. <laughs> By the way, that's how I know when to ever stop. It's like, nope, they haven't amen yet. Let's keep studying the Bible. <laughs> Isaiah, now don't just amen at random because you're calling for adjournment. Don't do that now. <laughs> Isaiah 33, page 687, verses 14 and 15. Powerful passage on this concept of eternal fire. Watch what it says here. Verse 14 of Isaiah 33. The sinners in Zion are what? Afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. And notice what's on their mind, what's on their thoughts. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burning? And you think, uh-oh, that's the wicked, you know. They're going to have to go to that eternal fire. Look at the answers. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly. He who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hands refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil, he will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him. His water shall be sure. The question is, who shall dwell with the devouring fire, who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? And the answer is not the wicked. The answer is the righteous. Think about that. Think about the power of that. If God is a consuming fire, the same God that destroys will be the God that brings life to others, right? Then when Jesus comes again, the Bible talks about the wicked being destroyed with the brightness of his coming. The Antichrist power is going to be consumed with the brightness of his coming. Some people will see this, that event and say, hide us, calling out to the rocks and mountains to fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Yet other people say, lo, this is our God. We've waited for him and he will save us. Because God is a consuming fire and what he consumes is wickedness. And the question on the mouth of the wicked is, who can possibly live with this devouring fire? Well, the righteous can, because God is righteous, right? So what we should be interested in is developing that fireproof character, if you will, that can dwell in the fire. For instance, you remember the story. Likely you remember the story. If you haven't, it's fascinating. Go home and read it. Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, tried to do the same thing that we talked about in our question and answer session, change the times of God. Remember, he was just the head of gold, but after him was going to be another kingdom of silver and then another one of brass, and all, right? But on the plain of Dura, that happened in chapter 2. In chapter 3, he sets up an image, top to bottom, all made out of gold, right? God's word had said, your kingdom is great and whatnot, but there's another one coming after you, and another one after that, and another one after that. And he said, no, 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 how about this? My kingdom is great, and it'll stay great. Right? And he calls everybody together, come and worship him, and the penalty for not worshiping was going to be thrown into the fire. Right? Right. Oh, fire, consuming fire, right? Seven times hotter. Now, there were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three worthies, who decided not to bow down, by the way, when put to the test, don't, don't wink and nod and fake it. Don't, they, you notice that in the text, they never like say, well, this is a good time to tie our shoe, right? They stood for the right, and they're like, hey, this might be my death. Here we go. And they stood up. They got called out for their faith. 
They had to answer before the king. The king says, I like you guys. I'll give you a second chance. And they respectfully said, we don't need a second chance. We're going to stand up. You might as well just save the, you know, the musician's time. We're not going to bow down again. And he gets so mad, and he throws them into the fire. But of course, he doesn't personally throw them, and he commands his guards to do that, right? So the guards, the wicked, are with the righteous, and they're both approaching the fire. Who does the fire destroy? The wicked, right? The guards who threw them in fell as dead men. The righteous, into the fire they go. And then it really blew Nebuchadnezzar's mind. He starts squinting, right? Did I not throw three men in there? Then how is it that I see a fourth? And this one looks like the Son of God, right? Let me tell you, friends, the, fa- the, the safest place for those young Hebrews that day was in the fire with the Lord, right? The safest place for th- is in the fire with the Lord because they were righteous. They were standing for the right. They were obedient to him. And the Lord says, come on in, no problem. The wicked, however, the same event destroys the wicked and saves the righteous. That's how it will be with the second coming of the Lord. And in this way, listen carefully, in this sense, heaven and hell are the exact same thing. The same fire that destroys the wicked brings home the righteous. And according to Scripture, they will dwell in eternal fire. I have no problem with the fire being eternal. But I have a great problem with the concept that God will purposely keep people alive, prolonging their agony throughout millennia and millennia and unceasing ages of eternity. That's not what the picture of the Bible says. It's going to be destruction, and when it's all done, it's done forever. The destruction is permanent and forever. The destroying, just until it's done. Does that make sense? Forever and ever, the smoke ascends, but not the torture continues. I want to be very clear about this. Again, let's go to number five now, finally. Good news number five, hell isn't meant for you. God does not have a picture in his mind. It's like, all right, here's some people on the earth, and this one's going to heaven, that one's going to heaven. Oh, good heaven. Uh-oh, hell, hell, hell. Heaven, hell, heaven, hell. And he doesn't operate that way. Matthew chapter 25. Let's see Jesus himself explain it. Matthew chapter 25. This is perhaps the best of the best good news about hell. Matthew chapter 25. Watch this now. When Jesus describes his own coming, this, by the way, is page 962 in your pew Bible. When Jesus describes his own coming, go down to verse 41. When he speaks to the wicked, what does he say to them? Then he will say also to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the what? Everlasting fire. But notice this part. He says, the everlasting pot fire prepared for whom? The devil and his angels. Does the Lord have plans to destroy people in hell? Is that what he's going for? Of course not. He doesn't want it. He wants to destroy wickedness and sin and root out rebellion. He doesn't want an iniquity and sin to ever rise up again. Transgression will not arise again. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. But there's no reason any of us have to be there. Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. But now look earlier in verse 33. When Jesus speaks to the righteous, what does he say to them? And he will set on his sheep on his right hand, but goats on the left, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, into the kingdom prepared for whom? You. The kingdom is prepared for you, The fire, the destruction in hell, is set up for the devil and his angels. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The plan all along has been for people to be saved and dwell with the Lord instead of being destroyed by the Lord Lord and his eternal fire. Destruction, watch here, you're filling the blank. Destruction in hell is for the devil and his angels. Friends, heaven is for you. Destruction in hell is for the devil and his angels. Heaven was prepared for you. 
Now, not everyone's going to go, but it's not because the Lord arbitrarily says, no, you're out and you're in. I want this one. I want that one out. I want this one. No, 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 no. That's up to you. He says, I prepared it for you. The question is, do you want to go? Now, the fire is prepared to destroy the devil and his angels and those who instigated this whole problem, but you, I've given a way out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The kingdom was made for you. There's no reason anyone should ever experience the destruction of hellfire. Ezekiel 33, our last two texts. Ezekiel 33, page 837. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Notice what this says. Hopefully this helps correct if there has been a misaligned picture of God, an incorrect view of the character of of the Lord in your mind. Please let this speak to you. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. He says, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no what? In what? The death of the wicked. Do you think the Lord's looking forward to destroying his own creatures? He's like, Oh, I can't wait to do it. Oh, I'm going to drag it out along. I'm going to make it, I'm going to do it real creative. No. He says, As I live upon the foundation of me existing, I say this. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and what? Live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O Israel? He makes this very clear. There is a destruction coming, but you don't have to be a part of it. You can turn and live. 2 Peter 3.9, our last text. See, we've seen in the Old Testament, and we show it to you in the New Testament to show you that the entire Bible wraps around this theme. God does not look forward to the destruction of the wicked. He wants the salvation of the wicked to turn sinners into saints. He wants to take them home. 2 Peter chapter 3, page 1167 in your pew Bible. Notice what he says about the Lord and his motives, his character in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. And again, in the context, it's the promise of his second coming. By the way, just because the Lord hasn't come yet doesn't mean he's late. Right? He's not slack or slow. When we think of someone not doing something, what we consider on time, we assign motive to it. Like if someone doesn't show up to work or doesn't show up to work on time, you must obviously, they don't care about the job. Or they're lazy, right? Or they're forgetful. Is the Lord lazy, forgetful, or doesn't care? Absolutely not. So why is the Lord taking his time? 2 Peter 3.9 addresses that very issue. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, as you might think slowness is about, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should what? Perish, but that all should come to repentance. Friends, good news number five is the best of them all. Hell isn't meant for you. It's meant for the devil and his angels. Let him have that, but don't join him there. There's no reason on this. By the way, friends, I want you to see over and over there is good news about hell. Good news about the destruction of the wicked. A, it's going to be complete. B, it's not going to last forever and ever. Okay? At least as we understand it. Three, it's a when, not a where. Four, the righteous will live in the eternal flames, the eternal fire. And of course, the capstone of all is it wasn't meant for you. Don't let for a moment the concept of hell that has been continually pushed out in the evangelical world come into your mind as truth. Because the Bible shows it differently. And the Bible's picture of God, by the way, is a God of love, a God of justice, a God of mercy, and a God who finishes what he starts he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but wants everyone to come to repentance. If you have had that picture in your mind of a God who's looking forward to ending people, or maybe even better yet, not ending them, keeping them going, right? Please disabuse your mind from that. Let the Word of God speak to you. And if there are things hindering that relationship between you and the Lord, come to repentance. There's no reason you need to join the devil in his fiery end. Has tonight's presentation made sense? Was it clear? Was it biblical? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for being a God of love, a God of mercy, and a God of justice. 
that your purification of the universe, your ridding the whole establishment of wickedness and rebellion and sin is not something you're looking forward to, but something you're going to do. And Lord, help us to see clearly from your word that this destruction was not intended for us. But your plan for us is that everyone should come to repentance, that anyone who's willing can have eternal life and not have to suffer the death of the wicked. So Lord, I want to ask tonight if there's anyone here who has, A, either struggled with the character of God because of this concept of an eternal burning hell. Lord, help us, help those individuals to have a a more peaceful, a more accurate view of God from directly from his word. And Lord, if there are any here who have allowed something to come in between themselves and the Lord, I'd ask that you send your Holy Spirit to cast out all of the distractions, all of the temptations, all the withholding things. And Lord, we ask that you would give the victory in their lives so that they don't have to worry about perishing, but they can look forward to that eternal life that you offer in Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, help that to be the case for every one of us here so that when you come, not one will be missing. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.